Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. If I described extroverts as those who are outgoing, gregarious, may have at one time or other been called loud, like to go to parties because it feeds their soul. And if I described introverts as those who are a little more reserved, quieter, don't like to be the center of attention, and refuel by being by themselves, I would ask you, let me see a show of hands, how many of you would describe yourself as an extrovert today? How many hands? How many would say you're an introvert based on that definition? Pretty close to half and half. A few years back, I took the Myers-Briggs personality inventory and I came out exactly in the middle. Now, I don't know what that means or how that happened, but I think the application is, if I need to be extroverted, I can be, like standing up front and giving the message. But you know, in school, I always sat in the back row. I didn't want to be up front. In fact, I said, God, send somebody else. But I also know that because I'm half introverted, I recharge by being alone at home in my room in my chair, watching brainless sports on TV. Someone has said that watching sports on TV is chewing gum for your eyes. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, I need lots of gum every week. And one of my favorite things to watch at night after everything is quiet, folks are off to bed, I turn on cage fighting. Cage fighting. Some of you may have seen it. It begins the same way every week. They lower a microphone on a cord in the center of the cage. And a man dressed impeccably in a tuxedo named Michael Buffard steps to the middle, grabs the microphone, and he says, let's get ready to rumble. Have you seen that? And he says, introducing the two principles in the red corner. And he gives the name and the record in the hometown. And people cheer. And he says, and in the blue corner. And he gives the same information. And they begin. And what they begin is a competition to see who's going to win. That's what the two principals do. They compete to see who's going to win. I propose to you today that inside each one of our hearts, there is a swing with room for only one rider. And every day, love and fear fight to sit on that swing in our heart. Now, when we invited Jesus to be Lord of our lives, when we gave our lives to him, he said, okay, slide over, I'm gonna drive. And we said, great. 
And we were okay sliding over so that he could drive. After all, it took some pressure off. We could use some help. But when the first storm hit, we reached for the wheel, didn't we? And it wasn't long before we were sitting behind the wheel and Jesus was relegated to the back seat. And this led to a separation between us and God. A separation between us and God. Our text today says God's love drives out fear. And here's how it works. For love to sit on the swing in our hearts, four things have to happen. And I'm going to share it with you today so that you and I can intentionally live with love at the center instead of fear. We live in tumultuous times. Sometimes we watch the media, we feel like the world's spinning out of control. Sometimes we wonder, where is God? Step number one for love to ride on the swing in our heart is we have to face our fears. Now, I'm sure your natural tendency is like mine, that we want to avoid our fears. We run from them. We don't want to think about them or talk about them. And yet for healing to take place in our hearts, we have to face the fear. In the classic novel, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab and his crew are pursuing the great white whale. And in one scene, a storm comes up quickly around them and their ship is being buffeted about by the waves. And he shouts orders to the men. He says, men, swing her about. We have to sail into the storm. He says, men, when you face a great storm, sail directly into it. It's the only way to survive. A lesson for us when we're facing our fears, we turn and look them right in the eye. One of my fears is claustrophobia. Most of you know what that means. It means fear of being confined, being in a tight place. I'm guessing there are others in the room who have that same fear. Let me tell you a true story that happened on November 24th of 2009. His name was John Jones. He was 26 years old. He was an aspiring doctor and he lived in Utah. And on November 24th, he was with three of his friends and they were spelunking. That means they were 200 feet underground exploring a cave. They were adventurous. And the cave they were in had miles and miles of uncharted tunnels and openings. And John was a risk taker. So they came to one tight area and there was a tube in front of him and they could lean forward and see that it went forward and then angled down and opened into a large room. John said, I'll go first. And as he started into the tube and he turned and it angled down, he got stuck. His shoulders wouldn't fit. His friends tried to pull him back, but they could not. They went and got the paramedics. And the paramedics worked for 28 hours and yet were unable to free him. John Jones died upside down in a cold, dark cave. 
You know, there are nights when I wake up in a jolt and I'm sweating because I've just had a nightmare and I'm stuck there in that hole with John Jones. Is it possible to fear something that we read about? Is it possible to fear something that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago? You know it is. Because you have some of the same fears. Now, I promise you I'm never going to be a spelunker. Although I love to say the word. Spelunky. I'm not going into a cave. Bet against it. I promise. But you know what I have had to do? I've had to crawl up on that gurney as they slide me headfirst into the tube for a CAT scan. Ever been there? I was scared to death. And I knew the nurse could see the fear on my face. So she said, are you gonna be okay? I wanted to say, hell no, I'm not gonna be okay. But I just thought. And so I said, just give me a minute. And so I closed my eyes and I said, God, I can't do this. And he said, I'm going to help you. And I said, well, if you don't, we can't do this. And I laid down and I closed my eyes and Jesus and I went to another place. And so I got through those CAT scans over and over again in my cancer scare. Because God did for me what I could not do myself. God was just like that. He shows up, shows up at our point of need and enables us to do what we cannot do. Face our fears. Claustrophobia. Maybe you're not claustrophobic. Maybe for you it's arachibutophobia. You ever heard of that? I wouldn't expect you had. It's fear of peanut butter being stuck to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> now who has that fear? Somebody does. And for them it is real. We face our fears with God's help, and he does for us what we couldn't do on our own. Step number two, we retrace our fear to the source. There's a source somewhere way back, the things we're afraid of. It means we journey back in our minds to the place where the fear started, and we identify the culprit. You know why I'm claustrophobic? You're going to laugh when I tell you. When I was a kid, my dad used to hold me down and tickle me. I still am afraid of him. Don't hold me tight. Don't confine me. I want to be loose. Could something 50 years ago still chase me today? You know it can. It chases you too, doesn't it? 50 years ago. I told my wife this and she laughed. And then she said she's claustrophobic too. I said, I know. I said, why for you? There she is in the back. She said, when I was a young girl, my older brother Steve used to put me in the toy box and sit on the lid and laugh as I screamed. None of you guys did that to your sister, did you? It still causes fear. 50 years later. And you know another thing? When my mom was 21 years old, she had her first child, me, and she was a brand new mom. And so she's trying to figure this out. That was before Lamaze and all those classes. And one day, about the second week of my life, she changed my cloth diaper with the safety pins. And for some reason, I continued to cry. 
and she couldn't figure out why I was crying. So she called Eva Cumberland, the neighbor, an older lady who kind of mentored her and came alongside her, lots of years experience as mother. And Eva held me and rocked me and cooed with me and figured out the problem. You know what it was? My mom had pinned the diaper to my bottom in two places. Didn't even bleed. I can't prove it, but my theory is I've been afraid of needles and pins ever since. They cause pain. We face our fears, we retrace them to the source. And then number three, we displace our fear with the light of God's presence. This is where we hand the steering wheel back to God. We've been taking it, haven't we? We hand it back to him. Someone has said, fear is the dark room for in which we develop the negatives of the frightening possibilities before us. But when we invite the Lord's presence and his light into the dark room, the darkness has to flee. Because you see, there's one thing about light and dark that can't coexist in the same place at the same time. And when God's light is brought in with his presence, darkness has to flee, has no choice. Jesus is the light that chases away the darkness. Some of you may have watched the movie Bonhoeffer, Agent of Grace. It tells the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor in the 1940s in Germany. He dared to stand up to Hitler's regime. He dared to call it evil. The consequence was he was thrown in prison awaiting the firing squad. And so in the movie, he's sitting in his prison alone, prison cell alone, and he hears a man in the cell next to him weeping. And he introduces himself through the cement wall, says he's a pastor and asks if he can pray for the man. And a soft, shy voice comes back, I don't believe in God. And Dietrich says, it's okay. I'm gonna put my hands on the wall on this side. And if you put your hands on the wall on the other side, I'll pray for both of us. The prison guard looks in and sees Dietrich trying to pray for the neighbor and he says, don't bother Fred, he's going to die tomorrow anyway. Undeterred, Dietrich with his hands on the wall begins to pray. And he prays, God, we're here in the darkness but you are the light. We're filled with anxiety but you are the peace. There's despair all around us, but you are our hope. Convince my friend that you are real and give him your presence and your peace. When he finishes, the guard notices that the man had indeed put his hands up on the wall. The next morning, dawn breaks with a single rifle shot. And then the same guard peeks into Dietrich's cell, a little more somber, a little less cynical. And he says, I just wanted you to know that your friend was shot at sunrise, and to all of our surprise, he was very at peace. The light of Jesus does that for those who belong to him. His presence brings light 
and chases darkness and fear. We face our fear, we retrace it to the source, we displace our fear with God's light, and then fourthly and finally, we erase that fear with God's love. We erase it with God's love. Our minds can never forget things that happened in our past. But healing has taken place when we come to the point where we remember without feeling the pain and the hurt all over again. God's love becomes the safety net. In 1932, construction began on the Golden Gate Bridge. Any of you driven across that bridge? I've driven across it a few times and it's impressive. But three times I had the chance to ride across it on a bicycle. And that's when I felt its majesty and strength and size. At the time of construction, the calculated fatality rate for bridge construction was one death for every million dollars spent on the project. So if a bridge cost 10 million, it was anticipated that 10 workers would die in the construction. Understand these are 1932 dollars. There was such a high death rate because this was called the dance of danger. The swaying towers, the hundreds of feet in the air with the ill winds that could change at a moment's notice. The Golden Gate Bridge was expected to cost 20 million and to be the most dangerous bridge ever constructed. But in an attempt to change the fatality rate, an experiment was conducted. A trapeze net was hung under the construction areas at what some thought to be an absorbent cost of $130,000. The local newspaper began to run a box score listing the names of the workers that fell and had been saved. All told, by the time the bridge was completed, 18 lives had been saved from falling into the net. The net not only provided safety for the workers, but because the workers felt safe, they were more productive and it finished months ahead of schedule. Friends, is it possible that we, when we are less fearful, are also more productive for the kingdom? If we can stop playing defense and start playing offense, more is produced for the kingdom. What if we also had a safety net for our lives? In Philippians, the Apostle Paul gives us a statement of faith, and it goes like this. He says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here's what he meant. He meant if I stay here on earth, I'll continue to serve the Lord and the blessings that come from being his faithful servant. If I die and I go to heaven, I'll be blessed by being able to spend eternity with God. And he was saying, whether I stay, whether I go, I win either way. That was his safety net. I don't have to fear what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to win either way. Friends, that should be our safety net as well. Fear should have no seat on the swing in our heart. 
because we know the one who is in control. We know he loves us. We know that he acts in our present with the future in mind, and he acts for our good and his glory. Love will ride on the swing in our heart when we remember, face our fears, retrace them to the source, identify the culprit, displace the fear with the light of God's presence, and then erase the fear by being filled with God's love. I pray this for you and for me, that we might be faithful this week and in the weeks ahead. To the glory of God the Father in heaven, may it be so. Please pray with me. Father, here we are, and we honestly admit that we have some fears. We fear not being in control. We fear the direction our country is going. We fear the potential illnesses and viruses around us. We fear the rancor of the media. We fear those in power may not be listening to you. We feel so small, powerless. Remind us you are still in control. This is still your world. You will win in the end, and so will we, because we place our faith in you. Remind the church to keep the main thing the main thing. You don't tell us that everyone will suddenly choose to follow you. In fact, you tell us that the road to lead to destruction is wide. The road that leads to eternal life is narrow. But you continue to change lives, drawing people to yourself who turn their eyes to Jesus. He alone is our hope, our peace, our strength, no matter what. Father, may we keep our focus on you. May we be encouraged because you're still in control. May we choose love to ride on the swing in our heart that we might love as we have been loved and others might know that our hearts and lives belong to you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, who is our strength, our peace, and our hope. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.